listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. You are joining us for our Bible study time together. Uh, I am honored to be the pastor of First Church Charlotte. If you are in the area and you do not attend a church, we would love to host you. We would love to welcome you. Our services are at Sunday morning at 9.15 a.m. and 11 a.m. We are continuing looking at the spiritual symbols that are shown in God keeping his covenant by resurrecting the nation of Israel and fulfilling the prophecy that is established in the scripture primarily by Ezekiel, when he speaking for the Lord says the Lord would raise up a, a flag, a banner above the nations. Uh, we are looking at that and looking at the symbol of the star of David, the shield of David, uh, known as the Magan David. And it is, as you know, two triangles that are interlinked, intertwined, two connected triangles. One points heavenward, one points earthward. And this sign, more than a prophetic insight into uh, the resurrection of the Abrahamic covenant, uh, even more than the promise to David that God would build for him an everlasting kingdom, uh, more than the promise that his son, Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, uh, the son of David would reign forever, an everlasting throne. Uh, this symbol shows uh, the heart of all of us toward God and God toward us, shown most beautifully, I believe, in the, the beautiful worship hymns and psalms that David wrote, where he, he expresses the the profound passion of his heart toward God, where it is as though I am yours and you are mine. And this is the only way I want to live. I want to live my life where I am wholly, completely, totally, unreservedly committed to God. And he looks for those people we know from John uh, who will worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus says to the woman at the well, uh, the father is seeking people like that, uh, true worshipers. And so we see in this shield of David, or if, if you would rather the star of David, these interconnected triangles. And I want to point out a few things in the symbols that are shown to us in the, in the, the image. Uh, a triangle is an ancient symbol for God, and it is particularly a particularly fitting emblem with which to picture God in that there is no, no geometric shape with fewer straight lines that encloses an area. Uh, you cannot enclose an area with one or two lines. It takes three of them. And any area that is closed must have a minimum of three sides. Let me read to you from uh, the book, Church Symbolism. The equilateral, the equilateral triangle with its apex upward is one of the oldest Trinity emblems. Now we're going to talk more about the Trinity and the understanding of it in just a moment. But I'm reading from a, a resource book, Church Symbolism. Its sides are equal, its angles are equal, and it carries with it the idea of unity. 
because it has three sides and three angles which are identical to one another in every respect. And yet there are three distinct sides and angles. They are combined so as to form not three separate figures, but one figure. The equality of the three distinct sides and angles expresses the equality of the three distinct persons. Again, we're going to talk more about this in just a moment. Their union resulting in but one figure, one figure suggests the one and inseparable divine essence. And so uh, it is... It goes without saying, we've talked about it a lot over the last few weeks, that the fundamental uh, statement of the nature of God, that the house of Israel, Abraham and all his children, that they perceived and they understood was something known as the Shema, which is basically this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The oneness of God is as old as the covenant of God. And it is with the giving of a monotheistic understanding of God that all the story of ethics and human right and wrong begin to change. As long as you have polytheism, multiple gods, you can use one God against another to do what is ever in your heart to do. But when you settle upon this truth that there's only one God, no longer can you play one deity against the other. And if you want to be violent, you know, appeal to a God of violence. No, now there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong. I want to point out to you that most of the Christian tradition since about the fourth century AD has been to see uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as as persons, as as distinct persons. Now, the Jews uh, had a difficult time with this, and even if they had been believers in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah, they would have still had a very difficult time with this because of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now, persons is not something that you find in the Bible. What you find is um, statements that could be understood if you chose to see them that way as separate persons. But there is, of course, there is, of course, some difficulty in this, and no observant Jew would be satisfied with the idea that God was different persons. Let me read to you from the book, What Christians Believe by Dr. Georgia Harkness. And she gives, I think, a profound insight to this issue that should inform uh, all, all believers on this nature, uh, inform all believers on the nature of God. It is a serious misunderstanding to think of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit as three separate deities. Now, this isn't me, this is a scholar writing. It is a serious misunderstanding to think of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three separate deities. Well, why? Well, the foundation of the covenant, hero Israel, the Lord, your God, our God is one. To make the mistake this scholar is talking about would be polytheism. 
It, this would be polytheism, not monotheism. This would be tritheism, not the Christian Trinity. Even when they use the term Trinity, which I think most of us can understand what people are trying to say with that, um, it is easy to end up in a belief system where uh, the, the Jews themselves would reject because they struggle to understand, and perhaps all of us should struggle to in any way to remove the oneness of God. So stay with me on this. It is not surprising, this is the scholar writing again, it is not surprising that this mistake has been made for Christians have often spoken of God in three persons. And one of the great Christian hymns contains the refrain, holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. What, this is the scholar writing, not, not me. What the three persons meant originally and was and what this ought to mean today is God in three manifestations or God in three forms of self-disclosure. The word version, uh, V-E-R-S-O-N, version, in this kind of connection, the scholar is referencing the text, means it is suggested by the Latin phrase dramatis personae. In other words, it's as though there are characters in a drama. God is revealing a character, as it were, in a drama. Hence, the most accurate understanding, again, this is a scholar, not me. The most accurate understanding might be the roles of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the great drama of divine revelation and mankind's salvation. Thus, it is quite possible to think of the one God, the only God, as coming to us in three vital, even indispensable ways. Now, when someone we think of as a traditional Trinitarian expresses it in this way, as the scholar's doing, there is no difference uh, between what we believe standing upon that foundational Jewish belief of the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, and what they're trying to say. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, and so the challenge for all of us, the challenge for all of us is to understand that the New Testament shows God working in different ways. And I'll talk about that more in just a moment. Without trying to divide God into a tritheistic entity. And that's what we, uh, we are, we, we will not do. I'm going to read Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics. And this is again reinforcing, clarifying, I should say, bringing understanding to a subject that has uh, been easily, easily confused. Uh, this is from, this is from the book. It should perhaps be emphasized that the Trinitarian statement is never tritheistic in the sense of affirming three separate self-conscious and self-determining individual, individualities in the Godhead. When it is affirmed that there are three persons in one God, the word person is used archaically. It's not my language. This is the scholar. And not in the modern sense of a center or a core of personality. It was a word employed by Tertullian as on the whole, the best word 
by which to convey the idea of an inner principle of distinction or individuation. And it is as it is, and it was a good enough word when it bore a vaguer, more flexible meaning than it bears nowadays in Western Europe. To say that there are three separate personalities in the Godhead would be polytheism. Do you see? To say that there are three eternal principles of distinction or modes of subsistence in the Godhead is not polytheism, although in the speculative construction of the Trinity, it might lead and has sometimes led to a theoretical pluralism or polytheism. So this is a very scholarly way of saying this truth. We understand God in the Gospels with the understanding of Father, Son, and Spirit, but we do not have three separate entities in, how shall we say, competition one with another, working to their own ends. This is not what the original writers of the church creeds were trying to get at. And when Tertullian chose that word, um, persons of the Godhead, he was not trying, he was not trying to create polytheism, even though polytheism was popular in much of the world. He was trying to fight Gnosticism, which was the belief that Jesus wasn't really flesh. He was an emanation of God. He was like a theophany. He was like a walking ghost of sorts. Therefore, he didn't really die. He didn't really suffer. This would have removed the doctrine of redemption. And Tertullian was trying to establish a church-wide doctrine where you could not deny the flesh of God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so he chose this word, which has led to a lot of confusion and has in many cases put the Christian church in theological opposition to uh, what we think of, or we know historically as the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. I want you all to know at First Church, we do not have this confusion and we do not in any way fall into the snare of thinking of God as, you know, saying he's one, but treating him as though he is a tritheistic entity rather than the one true and living God. So we say, not to use scholarly language, but to try to understand our relationship with God. Um, we stand, just as the Jews did, upon the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God as is one. Wherever you're watching this, say amen. We stand upon that. We do not deny the Father. It's absurd to call us Jesus only. That's crazy. It's absurd to say we deny the Holy Spirit. I mean, really? Us? We do not deny the Holy Spirit. The Bible, the Gospels, all the New Testament is full, beginning to end of references to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this does not make a three-deity Godhead. There is one on the throne. And so I want to try to make it simpler. He is best understood as the father in creation. Yes, he is best understood as the son in redemption and best understood as the Holy Spirit in his demonstration in the church and in our life. But there is the one true self-same God. 
he and he alone is the creator. And so we read Isaiah 44 and 24, thus saith the Lord, thy redeemer. This is what the Lord's gonna say, and he is your redeemer. He that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Do you see? by myself, Isaiah 44 and 24. And yet he also alone is the savior, father in creation, son in uh, redemption. This is Isaiah 43 and 10. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, neither shall thou be after me. You can refer to the Father, and it's just one God. <laughs> you can refer to the Son, it's just one God. It is God manifesting his infinity across the scope of the human story in such a way that it's easier for us to think of him as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Father in creation, Son in our spiritual regeneration, Holy Spirit in our spiritual transformation, living and walking with us. And so he and he alone is, yes, the Savior. He and he alone is the Creator. And he and he alone is the Holy Spirit. John 4 and 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Or how about Ephesians chapter number four, verse number four. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. That term spirit can be used interchangeably with the all the passage passages of the Bible it's referred to. So it can be the Holy Spirit. It can be the Spirit of God. It can be the Spirit of Christ. That's what is said in Romans 8 and 9. Uh, John Hastings in his uh, work, the Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics says this. He puts the whole matter into clarity, I believe, and helps us understand the admitted difficulty and mystery of the Godhead. And he says it uh, this way, the Spirit is the eminent God himself, working more freely in the souls of men as righteousness and power. Because of the new channels of influence, he has opened up for himself through Jesus Christ. In short, God himself is the Father revealed. God himself is in Christ revealing, and God himself is the Holy Spirit abiding. Now, every scholar I've read from, if you ask them whether they were Trinitarian, they would say yes. But every one of them understand, just as you should understand, just as I should understand, that we stand solidly upon the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Yes, it helps to understand him as creator, as redeemer, and as the one who abides with us but he is one. Again, Dr. Harkness revealing this, 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 this insight of New Testament writers uh, points out that New Testament writers made no distinction of any persons in their use of the titles referring to God. That came later in the fourth century when the church was fighting Gnosticism and people thinking that Jesus 
did not really live. He was not really flesh. Uh, and that created so much confusion. Even today, um, it creates uh, confusion um, because we say God is three persons. And the truth is, God is not a person at all. God is not an entity, a sub-entity in a whole. That's what a person is, a sub-entity within a whole. You are a person in a whole. God is not a sub-entity. Everything that is exists in God. And so although we refer to him as a person, he's not a person like we are. He doesn't exist in the world like we do. We, all of us, including the world, exist in him. And I'm by far not the only um scholar to point this out, probably the most famous scholar right now making this point that I'm making is uh, the tremendous uh, writer and scholar uh, N.T. Wright, who if you've read Christian uh, theology at all, you've heard of N.T. Wright. He makes this point in a beautiful, brilliant way. Let me get back to Dr. Harkness and read this. But what do we mean by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity? Again, we must guard against thinking of a third God. The Holy Spirit is the same God, the infinite and eternal God acting in our lives, present with us right here and now. As the manifestation of God incarnate in human form, Jesus could only be in one place and for a relatively short time. Therefore, he promised and God gave another manifestation, another manifestation. That's the word that gives clarity to all of this. Therefore, he promised and God gave another manifestation that could be present in every place and to the end of time. Thus, the Holy Spirit may be thought of as the living Christ, not the human Jesus, but the divine spirit within him that made him God incarnate. Isn't that amazing? I love it. God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three disclosures to us of one divinity. It is significant that in the early New Testament writings, the letters of Paul, the term Holy Spirit, the term the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus Christ or simply Christ or the Lord or the Spirit are used interchangeably and apparently with the same meaning from his experience as a Christian before any theological doctrine of the Trinity was formulated, Paul found it natural to think of the Lord as God the Father or as Jesus Christ the Son of God or as the Holy Spirit and so may we. Again, not my words, a scholar's words. Uh, and so the Lord is manifest to us. That's the word I love because I think it brings so much clarity uh, as creator, as savior, as Holy Spirit, or as 1 John 5 verse number seven says, as Father, Word, and Holy Ghost. This is what we refer to by a triangle, a divine triangle. It encloses one area. It's one entity, and yet that ha that same area has three sides of manifestation. You could look at it from different angles, and you would see different manifestations, but there would only be one 
true God, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so let me read one more passage from uh, Dr. Harkness. Christians believe in the unity of the one true God. As Father, he loves men with infinite compassion. In Jesus Christ, we see him revealed most clearly. Through the Holy Spirit, we feel his presence, are guided by his wisdom, and sustained by his strength. Yet he is one God, never three, whom we find in our experience in these three major ways. And so I am so glad today to be able to talk about the one God who is above all, in all, through all, the one who died for you, the one who did not stay separated, but he took your sin that he might come near. And we go into this Christmas season to celebrate not just the perfection of divinity, the divine triangle, but we celebrate the interlinking of the triangles. What do I mean by that? We, like God, are of three essences. We are body, soul, and spirit. Now you can use slightly different words if you want to, um, if you like slightly different words better, but you're basically saying body, soul, and spirit. The way I like to think of it is body is easy. A spirit is the eternal breath of God breathed into you. Soul is the uniqueness of you what it is that makes you, you. That's how I like to think of it. But you can use slightly different words to mean the same thing. We are not accidentally the way we are. We are made in the image of God. And therefore, we celebrate at Christmas the Magan David, the shield of David, the star of David, not God away, apart, isolated, and not us down here trapped, lowly, and broken, but the two have come together. The word was made flesh. He who was holy became sin. They mesh together. As a result, a perfect sacrifice has been given, and we are able to be recipients of that holy nature of God. What? Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost, the temple of the Lord? All right, that's enough. Lord, be with your people. Guide them this week. Let us ponder the the scriptural truth and let us pray that we would be able to give a witness of it without adding confusion to uh, the issue. But we would be able to repeatedly and with clarity make worshipers out of people who find that they're perhaps confused by what it all means and how it all works. But we point them to you and we point them to being a true worshiper in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are notes for your parents. Uh, the notes for our kids' lesson this week is slightly different because this is some heavy lifting for kids. And so we do things a little bit different for the kids' notes. And we talk about the 25 things we know, and there's more, but you have to stop somewhere, uh, things we know about God and how the attributes of God are revealed. And it's true about God. And yet uh, he is the summation of them all. We don't have 25 different gods. Similar lesson designed for them. Uh, we love you. God bless you. Sunday morning, 9.15 a.m. and 11 a.m. Two services for your convenience. We want to serve you. God bless you. Have a great day.
Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.